Hi, this is Alex. You might know my mom, Heather, from Shine.fm. This is the Shine.fm MomCast. Take it away. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Shine.fm MomCast. Uh, we are on location today. We won't tell you where we are. We're in a public library, but uh, we're taking it on the road because we have a special topic to talk about today. I have a couple different people in my life who either foster or they have adopted um, kids, and I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about what happens in adoptive and foster families and so I have a friend a longtime friend Jennifer who's joining me today we're going to talk about what the people who are you know the families who adopt kids what they would want us to know so those of us that have never been in the adoptive arena or the foster care arena what would they want us to know and how can we come alongside them and uh, be a community to them as they deal with kids uh, in their family and in their homes that have trauma and uh, who are dealing with a lot of things that we don't know about as parents so Jennifer thanks for being here today Um, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself just a little bit to us. Heather, I am so glad to be with you today, not just because I enjoy your company because you're my girl, <laughs> but um, also this is a topic that, as you know, is just really, really a passion area for mine, not just in a personal way, but in a professional way. So I am a certified family life educator. Um, that's what my master's degree is in from Spring Arbor University. And before that, um, my husband and I, let me back up even further, when I was single, I knew that I was supposed to be in kids' lives in some mm-hmm. kind of way, and I didn't see a future husband on the horizon anywhere for years. And <laughs> I thought, you know, I guess I don't need to wait around for you know the man to show up. Um, I can maybe be a foster parent. And so I applied with a local agency, and I went through their orientation and um, their trainings, and you know, received a placement, a a young lady, almost 12 years old, and that's how I started my foster care Mm -hmm. journey. And then when I met my husband, he had the same heart, and um, he joined my license. He went through training as well, and pretty soon we started our family with a biological child, Mm -hmm. and uh, then the Lord spoke to us and said it was time to reopen our doors to a child who needed a safe place to grow. And we fostered a little guy and he went to family after about two weeks and then after him we received um, a child who was in just a real a real tough spot Mm -hmm. he later became um, we were able to adopt him Mm. a couple years later his sister came along that's a whole different story so we have a biological child and two adoptees Mm -hmm. who are siblings and at some point I realized you know that uh, I wasn't going to be that foster or adoptive parent with a 12 passenger van (laughs) because I'm just not cut out for that I'm not that amazing Um, I'm also not a homeschooler because I didn't make that cut either Um, (laughs) although the pandemic forced that upon me and I did my best but um, my boys are hitting pre-adolescence and they pretty much fired me as their homeschool teacher (laughs) after about six weeks so yeah I was like okay I get it I didn't want to do this anyway so back to virtual learning you go you know exactly yeah so I I went to get my master's degree in um 
in family life educating because I really wanted to do things like this where I can talk about the experience and share with the community around foster adoptive or kinship parents how they can support what they need to know and um, and be an encouragement to families. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some of the things that your family has dealt with. And I only ask this question because these are not things that I deal with. Right. Like, my, I don't have a child in my home who had in-womb trauma. Mm-hmm. I don't have a child in my home who had, you know, out-of-the-womb trauma. Right. Um, and talking, you and I have talked a lot about this because it's a way that I can understand what really goes on in your right. household. And right. then there's times when you say to me, because um, we talk a lot, you know, that, oh, well, we had a rough time. This was a rough, and you won't go into specifics. I think mm-hmm. um, the part of the reason I think why you do that, and you can confirm this or not, but you want to protect that child right. and their, my perspective, our perspective on that child, because you understand that that's not who that child is. That's right. a, a, a consequence right. of the trauma. Right. So talk to me about about some of the things that you've had to learn to make a good home and, mm. and, and provide a good family structure for your kids? Yeah, wow, that's a big question. Um, I think I need to start a little bit back to what you were saying about in the womb trauma right. and in the in the research world that is called in utero trauma so in in the uterus and that is really where life begins mm-hmm. as we know life begins in the womb right right and so brain cells are forming mm-hmm. and the way relationships form like our brain god created our brains to connect socially with people. When there is an utero trauma, that means that mom is pregnant and she is experiencing some pretty stressful situations. Maybe somebody is abusing her. Maybe she is abusing drugs. Maybe she's self-medicating because she hasn't Mm. gotten a a proper medical diagnosis and she's using drugs because she's actually bipolar and she needs medication, but she doesn't know that. And so she's, she's, you know, using marijuana to relieve their symptoms. Um, And so the baby is experiencing all of those things, all of her stress, the cortisol, hormone is shooting through her body every time she gets stressed out Mm. and if it goes into the uterus and it goes into the brain and it 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 has an imprint researchers say it Hmm. imprints the stress and the trauma on the on the developing baby's brain Hmm. and so there's a book out there called the body keeps the score it beautifully explains that in layman's terms so that somebody like you or i we are not scientists (laughs) right? right right um we can understand how that evolves and so the second second thing I would want to say is that children who come into foster care, the child welfare system does not want to just yank children out of homes. In fact, they often wait to see enough evidence to the point where the children's lives may be endangered because they know that removing a child from their um, biological family is traumatic itself. Right, right. Being removed all of a sudden from everything everyone you've ever known even if it's dangerous even if you're starving it's still traumatic and so they're trying to provide services for the parents get resources into that household so that they can keep the family intact right and and not cause another trauma but when they finally have enough information that says we've got to take these kids out kids come into foster care because of abuse and neglect and more often than not it's neglect mm-hmm. um, people think 
that kids come out into foster care because they were physically or sexually abused. That is true, but the number one reason they come into foster care is because they didn't get to their well checks. Mm. They didn't get their dentist appointments. Okay. They're they're staying away from their their um, I forget the word. They're not in school. Um, they're staying home alone without supervision, and they can't take care of themselves and all their little siblings. Mm. So neglect is the number one reason. And so when the child is neglected, and that's the outside of the womb trauma that you're talking about, right. for a child to be in charge of all their little brothers and sisters, and we literally had a young lady in our care who uh, was around 12 at the time, and she had been the pseudo-parent because mom, for one reason or another, was not able to provide supervision and, hmm. and be at home. Um, and she literally had to divvy up the Rice Krispies between her three other siblings. Hmm. And what kind of pressure that puts on a child at that age right. and that responsibility is unimaginable that you're rationing Rice Krispies, which is not going to fill anybody up for very long. Right, right. And it's not adequate nutrition. For those reasons, come kids come into care. And when they do, going back to that imprint that we talked about, their brains have been imprinted with the way things have been. And okay. socially, relationally with people, especially with primary caregivers, um, they have a deep distrust of primary caregivers because they have not their needs have not consistently right. and positively been met. Right. So back up to your question about, you know, what do families like mine experience on mm -hmm. a daily basis? Um, something we say, we said it just this morning, my husband and I were talking and we said, well, we know behavior is communication. Hmm. And so if you're listening to this right now, say this out loud with me, behavior is communication. Hmm. Children don't know how at five years old to say, well, my mom left me alone with my eight-month-old sister, and I had to try to use a bottle, but she choked and died while mm. I, you know, so therefore I'm traumatized and I'm screaming and yelling and throwing things right now, and that's why I need you to get me a counselor. I need help. Right. They can't communicate no. all that. Well, there are some adults that probably could right. com communicate that. Right. So We're I don't all know how in you counseling, expect. aren't we? Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Oh, my word. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what does a five-year-old do? They might uh, poop in a corner. Mm. You know, they might hoard food under their bed. They might disrespect authority in a school or at church. Mm -hmm. And so we need those, everybody has them, those elderly people in our congregations who think you just need to provide structure and discipline mm -hmm. to these mm -hmm. kids. Um, that is a that is a nice thought. If if that could solve all the world's behavioral problems, I think by now it we might solved, we right? might have solved them, right? <laughs> right. But and that's not how God connects with us, is it? No. The Lord says He draws us by His loving kindness. Right. So that's relational. Right. So we have to find inroads to build relationship with with kids who come from trauma. Hmm and develop relationship enough to start noticing their cues because as a baby somebody missed their cues right and their brain got an imprint that said nobody cares mm. what you're trying to communicate when you cry mm. okay and so that baby starts shutting down and stops crying because the bottle didn't come the diaper didn't get changed or the violence didn't stop right you know we're going along our day and somebody flips out 
somebody has, a, we call it a trauma meltdown, or a f- they flip their lid, which is actually terminology that goes back to the brain and what it's doing, and mm. we can talk about that in another uh, deeper podcast about uh, brain responses, but um, they go into survival mode because they got triggered. And when you mm. think about an animal that senses it's in danger, like it starts to fend for itself. Right. It might claw at you. It might growl at you. And that's essentially what a human being is doing when they go into survival mode. They start finding ways to make themselves survive, and it looks terrible to us. One of the kids that has that has been in our care came to us as an infant, and she had to have parent visits for the first six months of her life. Okay. And parent visits are sanctioned and ordered by the state because it gives parent, biological parents the opportunity to connect with their kids because the state's goal is to return that child home right. once mom or dad receives services like parenting classes, right. um, drug testing, gets a job, you know, performs, has some stability in their lives to receive this child back. Um, so this little one every you know three times a a week four hours each time had parent visits and consistently um, the biological parents just did not understand this infant's cues Hmm. I would even write in a journal baby has had a bottle at eight o'clock so when you start the parent visit at 10 Um, he or she may need a bottle again Mm -hmm. and the parents were trying to prove themselves and they would read the journal and just say oh pish posh Mm. you know we're gonna we're gonna prove to them that we can parent this is our baby anyway Mm. and sure enough this baby just did not get the cues met and the Mm. needs met by the parents so let's fast forward several years this child is now um, in grade school is coming into school late is feeling off schedule off out of routine and they just sit we get to the school and the child sits down and refuses to go into the classroom Mm. but this is in my brain is saying we're here now you're ready we i got you here you know (laughs) i stopped what i was doing i made sure we got i didn't make you get on the bus this morning because we were feeling really off we drove over here we're here now we just need you to go into your classroom and right. this child would not do it mm. and so i had to say okay behavior is communication right so i had to stop my agenda and i had to stop my way of thinking and i had to say what do you need right now and they just said i can't go into that classroom because everybody will look at me and they were clearly like freezing up this child was mm. clearly freezing mm-hmm. up and i had to say i had to start looking for a different plan Mm-hmm. And it took like 20 minutes. In mm-hmm. fact, that's why I was, you know, late this morning. It took 20 minutes for me to figure out what this child needed, find a pathway for that thing to happen. Right. And once the child felt heard and validated and saw that I was willing to change my gears a little bit to meet the need, mm-hmm. and the need was she was giving me her cues, you know. I can't go in there right now. No, and she's shaking her head out of fear. No, no, I can't go in. Hmm. And I'm thinking, all you gotta do is go inside. You know, I'm also kind of an ambivert, and she is a total introvert. So okay. going into a classroom full of kids, anyway, would be, be kind of haunting, yeah. right? Um, so I just had to change my mindset around Heather and become that child for a moment hmm. and change my direction. And I think that a lot of us try to stick to a schedule because we think the schedule is going to help 
with the consistency and stability, and it does, but when they're expressing a need, they're gonna have a behavior. And for mm. her, it was freezing. Right. There are three responses to, well, I'm sorry, four responses that scientists have seen um, to a trauma trigger, and it is fight, flight, freeze, and flop. Okay. Fight is that survival mode where they're gonna come out fighting, hitting, clawing, destroying things, and we've seen that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fight or flight. Sorry, I'm messing this up. No. Flight is when they <laughs> run away from it. Okay. Flight is when they they take off and you can't find them. They're mm-hmm. hiding somewhere in the house, but they are not coming out. They're not going to get on the bus. They are not going to go do the thing. They're going to hide. Um, freeze is similar to flop, and it looks like disrespect because they just kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. So you're saying I need you to get into the car, and they're just standing there like, no, I'm not doing it. No, no, no. Okay. It looks like disrespect, but it is actually freezing. They got triggered somehow, and their brain has shut down. Right. And then flop is kind of when you think of that one-and-a-half-year-old kid. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing themselves on the, the down at the grocery yeah, store and yeah. just like, you're going to have to haul me out of here yes. because I am not going to move at all, right? Exactly. <laughs> Mo Willems, he's an author we yeah. just really love. And um, in in one of his books, The Child Goes Boneless, it yeah. says. Yes. He went boneless. And we were like, oh, that's flop. Yeah, you know, yeah so exactly. All of those responses look like behavior problems. For sure. For sure. But they that child is communicating mm. with the only way they know how, right. and it's with behavior. So if a teacher or a parent or the elderly woman at church who grew up having to obey everybody when she was a child, mm-hmm. um, when if they approach that child behaviorally, what's probably going to happen is, A, that child won't trust that person, B, um, they won't like that person, so there won't be a relationship, so there won't be any impact in the future. Right. Um, C, there's going to be uh, a sense of shame the child might experience because, once again, their need did not get met, mm-hmm. and um, they're supposed to be coming into the house of the Lord to experience God's loving kindness. Right. But now they've just got more rules from some other person in authority over them. Right, right. So I want to um, just put a couple scenarios out there because I think that this is applicable to... Um, when I would drop somebody off, like drop my kids off at school, mm-hmm. there would always be that parent who was sitting in the dropout lane and they would always just sit there because, oh. well, because I think they were having trouble getting oh. their child out of the car. Uh-huh. And I'm going to be real honest and transparent. I would be <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? Right. Like, get it together. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't you just get your kid out of the car? You're blocking all of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, again, mm-hmm. there may be a trauma child in that car mm-hmm. that I don't know about. And right. maybe that parent is doing whatever they can to try to help that child get out of the car and get into the yeah. classroom. Yep. The other thing I will say, and this is a, I don't do this anymore, but when I was younger, if I'm at the grocery store mm. and there is a child throwing a fit. Yeah. My thought when I was younger was, what's wrong with you? Yeah. With, the parent. What's right, wrong with yeah, the parent? Exactly. I'm like, mm-hmm. come on, figure it out. Yeah. You know? Now, again, I'm coming from my experience of sure. having three kids who mm-hmm. don't have any trauma. Right. I mean, and so I was like, it's nap time. You should be at home. Or why are you not, why didn't you bring crackers? Mm-hmm. Everybody should just bring crackers to the store. And that, you know, no. Yeah. There may be a trigger that's happening in that child. And again, it goes back to this idea that we don't really know mm-hmm. what is going on in someone's life. Right. Especially in those interactions 
at the school dropout line or at church even or at and that's where I want to go next because Mm -hmm. I believe that there is um, a lot of need for us as the body of Christ for us Mm -hmm. as the church to come alongside those families who are in our community now Mm -hmm. maybe you're not like really good friends with them and that's okay but like what if you knew that they're dealing with some stuff and you don't know what it is like maybe you've seen something at church Mm -hmm. maybe you had a there was a situation that that parent was trying to deal with their child. What can we do Mm -hmm. as the body of Christ, the community, come alongside foster and adoptive parents? I think we've talked a lot about what we don't know, Mm -hmm. but what are some tangible things that we can do to support those families who clearly are are really working hard to provide a safe environment for those trauma kids. Sure. Thank you for asking that question. And I, I hope that every church, every family-oriented organization, facility, or agency asks that question, Heather. First, the f- first and foremost thing I would say is get some training. Mm. Get some trauma-informed training. You know somebody who's going to become a foster parent? They have to do about 22 to 24 hours of training, state-sanctioned training, to become a licensed foster parent. What If you're going to come alongside that family in any tangible and meaningful way, you should ask if you can come alongside them and go to that training with them. Mm. Or if the organization or agency providing the training can have like a little a smaller (laughs) summarized version of the training just to give the overview of trauma and how kids react to trauma and how to come alongside somebody who's got a um, abusive history then or history of abuse then go to that training read the book read the body keeps the score read the connected child by dr karen purvis Um, go online google Uh, books on childhood trauma, Mm. you know, and and find those trainings. Um, The Post Institute is fantastic. So that's the first thing. If you're a children's ministry leader Mm. or a volunteer, if you're the pastor of the church, you should be going. You should be the the headship, the leader of getting trauma-informed because everybody in your congregation has been traumatized. You know, the fall was traumatic. It changed. It changed our DNA. It right. changed everything. Mm-hmm. And so we are all traumatized by something. Right. And um, what you learn to help somebody else is probably going to help you come to a place of healing and freedom too. Mm-hmm. So then some other tangible things, it really comes down to um, the two R's and one M. Resources, respite, and meals. Mm. Foster families get a call like on a Monday that in on a Monday eight o'clock in the morning, they're bringing a child to that family by one o'clock p.m. Oh wow! And the the family has told the agency they can take, you know, um, kids from ages this to that. But more often than not, the family accepts a placement of a different age range or a different gender or whatnot because there's such a need right and they're the last hope for the agency to find a, a good home for this this kiddo right and so they are not prepared for a 50 year old <laughs> they were prepared for a seven year old but they're really going to help out and they mm-hmm. think they, they've got a bed so the last thing they need to be thinking about is going out to walmart and getting um bedding right. and clothes like they need to call a team member or someone from their church and say hey we're getting a teenage girl this afternoon and she likes I don't know what 15-year-old girls like. Right. I don't know. She likes rainbows. But the truth and is they don't right. come with much. They don't come. And they usually no. don't. The other thing that I've read is that they don't usually have like 
a suitcase. No. It's usually like a garbage bag full yes. of some of their items. Some that of they, their items. Yeah. So to be able to provide them comfort, mm-hmm. some uh, tangible things like even like making sure they have like body um, soap and right. hair, like Hygiene. shampoo or yeah. whatever, you know what I mean? That's specifically for them yes. to make them feel welcome, but also those yeah. very tangible things like clothing and shoes. Yes. And um, I know that we had uh, a woman reach out to us and say, hey, we've got a couple, you know, girls who are going into foster care and they're extra large. Like, the, yeah. you know, and I was like, hey, that's me. I got a whole bunch of stuff. And then my daughter was like, mom, I don't know that they're going to like your stuff. And I'm like, uh, well, I'm yeah. like, I'll give them a couple hoodies then. Okay. You yeah, know, but I mean, like knowing that they have like some items that they can try and they can see if at least they have something, you know, but right. those tangible things are really important too. Oh, definitely. And there are places um, like foster closets mm. in, in many areas. Uh, you can Google your, the name of your county and foster closet and find something close by where you can go pick up something for free mm-hmm. for um, the the gender and the, the age nice. of the kiddo and always, always buy and supply new underwear and new socks. Right. Nobody needs hand-me-down underwear. <laughs> you know, that's not right. I know we wouldn't like that, would we? No, no. we wouldn't. What would Jesus do? He would get you clean underwear. <laughs> yes. New clean underwear. <laughs> and clean socks, for sure. Right. Yeah. And so getting having somebody for the foster parent to say, I'm trying to prepare my household and my kids and my husband and me or whoever um, for this new person coming in, could you go pick up some items for us mm-hmm. to help make this person feel comfortable right. um, or more comfortable? The other thing is respite. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Those are the two R's, respite and resources, and then meals. Mm. You know, just like when you had a baby, Heather, didn't right. you? Did somebody, like, sign up at church to bring you they did. as a they casserole? Did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there are great things like take them a meal online. There are other programs like that with you know, this family did sign up to do this, but they just got the call yesterday and they're right. coming this afternoon. You know, can the church put together some ready to bake or already baked meals mm-hmm. for the first couple weeks? Just or send to, a gift card. Or send a can gift card. Can I just say or, that? Like, yeah. I love that because yeah. sometimes I don't always have the time mm-hmm. to make something because, yes. well, I am raising two boys and have a daughter in college, but I go to, you know, a grocery store and buy a $25 pizza gift card or yes. whatever where they can just... And then send it to them. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's a tangible thing that can truly bless that family as not only they're welcoming that child, but they're transitioning too. Like I yes. love that you said like, well, you know, they signed up for this. That might be how someone, you know, views it. But no, there's, you don't really know. I mean, it's kind of right. like saying, well, you got pregnant and you had a baby. You knew what you were getting into. Um, no. <laughs> Anybody really who's had a baby <laughs> or has kids know that that is not the case. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the same for that family as they transition right. into being foster parents and whatever that child is but it's going to be a transition for them too and however that I want to reach out and ask some families who are like me on the verge of being empty nesters because like that's where we're at we're like two and a half years away from that could you find somebody in your church to come alongside that you know either has adoptive you know kids or has um, is doing foster care we just ran into someone this morning that said oh yeah I have a friend who's signing up for foster care could we come alongside them and just say I want to be that person for you yeah because our life is going to get a lot slower Mm -hmm. their life is going to get a lot busier and that's the way that we can tangibly show up as the church let's talk about respite real quick thank you so respite um if you want to get a little bit more involved on a personal level with the kiddos and the foster family or the adoptive family 
Respite just basically means relief. Mm -hmm. um, in the foster adaptive world, it means babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because that is what they need. They need, you know, the, the foster mom, foster dad, adoptive parents, they need to get away right. for a short time to recharge or just do things that everybody else gets to do because they have neurotypical kids right. who don't have trauma triggers and whatnot. So, you know, look at providing, offer four hours a month. Mm -hmm. We are not fostering anymore, and we have three um, great, awesome kiddos, but we have close friends that became foster parents right before the shutdown. And then oh. every, I know, and they got like a nine month old and a one and a half year old. Nine months and 18 months. Wow. First time ever parents. <sighs> they had never raised any other kids. Wow. Man, they went through. A, you know, fire and brimstone, yeah, really, for sure. in the first 18 months. They were not allowed to have respite. They all got COVID. Oh, no. And And I had done, like, a foster baby shower for them be, when they were getting licensed. Yeah. And we formed a team of people, and then all those people were ready to go, and then the shutdown happened, and none of us could do anything. Oh, man. But we got them um, resources. We Good. all sent them Grubhub or gift cards or meals. Yeah. Um, but now that, you know, Things are, have opened up a little bit more. People are vaccinated. My family has offered just four hours a month mm. to have the kids come over. And then mom and dad get to go, like, go get a pedicure and a coffee or whatever, mm -hmm. go watch a movie. And we love our time with these two kiddos. It is so great. We've got Christmas presents for them. Aww. So you don't have to, like, change your whole life, Heather. You right. don't have to get licensed yourself. You just need to say to somebody, I would love to come alongside your family. What's your greatest need right now? Mm -hmm. And they will, they might not know to tell you, so give them some time. That if you don't hear from them, ask again. Yeah. Or just try to do something, bake them a casserole, see how that goes. You know, <laughs> right. get them a gift card, see if that's right. received. And then right. if you, and foster parents are not good at asking for help. Hmm. And they're usually a little overwhelmed unless they've been doing it for a long time and they know what to expect. So they might not be able to say, yeah, I could really use, um, you know, four hours every week or once a month right you know they and they don't want to impose so you kind of have to you have to be sure that you want to do something mm -hmm. and then try a few things out Stick and see what it. works yeah but respite is the number one requested need that foster and adoptive parents have wow wow and it's self-care it, mm -hmm. it is because if they if the parents fall apart then that that's no good right. people close their licenses for that right because the burden of care is so much greater than than we used to think it was. We thought that sheltering a kiddo, educating them, feeding, clothing them was good enough. And that's just that's just the basic Basics, level of right, care. Right, right. But you've also, I just want to say too, you guys have done um, a lot of therapy with your kids as well. Mm -hmm. You um, and I've talked about the fact that you also do therapy and it's not because of the kids, but it's because of some of the stuff for your, so yeah. we do want to recommend as well that like there are resources for adoptive and foster kids when it comes to occupational therapy and comes to regular talk therapy that mm -hmm. those resources are available as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today and I appreciate your perspective and we will put a few resources in the liner notes so that people can find like the body keeps the score on some of those other books so thanks fantastic thank you so much other